Seriously, it's a mortal sin to miss mass? Carlo Broussard, next. Hello, and welcome to Focus, the Catholic Answers podcast for living, understanding, and defending your Catholic faith. I'm Cy Kellett, your host, and everybody's got to go back to Mass now. Uh, All these uh, dispensations that were uh, out there. Not everybody. I mean, there are places in the world where there's still a serious pandemic problem, and the dispensations are still in place. But as far as I know, everywhere in the United States, you got to go back to Mass. And in most of the uh, developed world, I think, you got to go back to Mass now. And uh, it's mortal sin if you miss Mass. And people are like, what? It's a mortal sin to miss Mass? Well, uh, we thought this was a good opportunity to talk about the obligation to participate in the Sunday Mass, an obligation shared by every Catholic able, in a reasonable way, to get to Sunday Mass, in a reasonable, healthy way to, you know, to get there. Uh, is is is, the, is this really the, the teaching of the church? I mean, mortal sin? Your soul is in peril if you miss Sunday Mass? Carlo Broussard's the guy to ask, so we did, and here's what he had to say. Catholic apologist Carlo Broussard, thank you for being with us. Side, thanks for having me, brother. Uh, okay, so all the bishops, I was I was looking uh, on the Google machine, and bishops all over the country, one by one, and sometimes in groups, it's time to come back to Mass. The Sunday obligation is back on. Amen. So uh, an opportunity to talk about the, the Sunday obligation. Do we, in fact, as Catholics, have an obligation to go to Mass on Sunday? Answer, yes. Okay. On condition that there is no dispensation, right? So the yeah, ordinary right. norm when it's in ordinary circumstances is that we are obliged yeah. under the pain of grave, serious sin uh, to attend Mass on Sundays. Uh, this is in the Code of Canon Law, Canon 1247. It's very clear. The Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 2181 affirms this. Uh, the faithful are obliged to participate in the Eucharist on days of obligation, unless excused for a serious reason. Yeah. For example, illness, the care of infants, that's what the catechism is listing there, or dispensed by their own pastor. Of course, what we've been experiencing with the COVID experience would fall under that category, yeah. being dispensed by our bishops. Those who deliberately fail in this obligation, and I would emphasize deliberately there, right? Those who deliberately fail in this obligation commit a grave sin. So the Church affirming that it is a grave, serious sin to deliberately uh, fail to attend Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation. And I I went to the Internet to kind of look up and and see what people say about this, and actually nobody says much of anything about it. There's not a lot of Protestant objection to this Catholic practice. There's not a lot of Catholic objection. And yet... What percentage of Catholics are in Mass every Sunday? It's like 20%. So obviously, (laughs) people are responding just by ignoring this. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, insight there. Like, you know, you have such a low attendance, but yet not much noise out there concerning the obligation. I've encountered it in conversations with folks, like in going and teaching a Bible study. I remember vividly um, a few months back, I... I don't know, I guess it was before the COVID experience, but I went to a a home Bible study where I just kind of sit down and we do sort of a Q&A kind of thing for about three hours or so, and some Protestants came, 
And one of the Protestant gentlemen was asking me, you know, well, why the Sunday obligation? Right. So that was something that was weighing heavy on his mind. And I've encountered it elsewhere. So it is a good question to ask why the obligation, why Sunday, and, and to talk about it. And I have to say, too, Carlo, and I've spoken to quite a few people who have said, well, my priest said it's not really an obligation. And I don't, and I, in a certain sense, I guess that your pastor is dispensing you when he says that. <laughs> but I mean, I hate to say it, but I just think that the, the catechesis around this, or uh, there's just a general, yeah, that's the law, but it's like 55 mile an hour speed limit. You know, yeah, but. Right. Well, we would have to push back and emphasize no, the church is very clear that this is a precept of the church. Yeah. And that we are obliged to adhere to it on the pain, under the pain of mortal sin. That is to deliberately miss mass without a dispensation uh, would constitute grave, serious sin. And so now concerning a pastor, if he's just saying, yeah, you don't have to come. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Is that a really a dispensation yeah, or is this right. just being misleading? Correct, correct. I mean, right. I, I would suppose that from a subjective point of view of the individual, they're just following their pastor's counsel right. and they might not be held accountable, you know, for that. And then it would be the pastor who's going to be held accountable for being so whimsical with yeah, that and right. not following what the church is intending for us to do. Well, there's not a, there's no passage in the Bible that says, go to Mass every Sunday. It's that is a correct. mortal sin if you don't. Yeah. So that means that the church has given us this. Does the church actually have the authority to demand this? Right. Us? That's a very good question. And the answer is yes. And so first of all, we need to take a step back and ask the question, is such a ceremonial precept open and available for the church to do so. Because in the Old Covenant, God had stipulated through Moses, through divine revelation, like this was going to be the day on which you worship Almighty God. To fulfill the moral precept of worshiping God, you're going to do it ceremonially in this way on this day. Right. And that was the Sabbath, right, on Saturday for God's people in the Old Covenant. And so the question becomes, well, is that ceremonial precept still binding on Christians? Because if it is still binding on us as Christians, well, then the Catholic Church has made a mistake in, in, yeah, in, in well, that's a good point, binding right. us to go to Mass on, on Sunday. Sunday yeah. right? So what was the early Christian practice? How did they view that particular aspect of that moral law of worshiping God uh, with, during, for some particular time on a particular day? Well, according to St. Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, it's very clear that he understood that Christians were no longer bound by the ceremonial precept for worshiping God in this way on that particular day. He says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And the Greek there is plural, Sabbaths. So whether we're talking about the sabbatical year, right, every seven years, the Sabbath year, or yeah. the Sabbath during the week, which would be the Saturday. Paul is saying, let no one pass judgment on you, because we're no, just like we're no longer bound to adhere to the food laws and the purity laws of the Old Covenant, so too we're no longer bound by the laws pertaining to when we're going to worship God on which specific day. Yeah. So that at least shows us that that ceremonial precept of the Old Covenant is no longer binding for Christians, which now opens it up for the leaders of the Christian church in the first community or their successors 
to impose some other kind of ceremonial precept to help us fulfill the moral law to worship God. Because that aspect of the third commandment to keep uh, the Lord's day holy, that belongs to the natural moral law that cannot change. The duty to worship God as our creator. Right, okay. That's something that must be fulfilled. Yeah. But then the ceremonial aspect is how you're going to do that. You heard that? That yeah, was Cajun do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how you're going to do that and on which day you're going to do that. Okay. And so now we have it open and available for the church to make that sort of decision and okay. judgment. And so now the question, okay, does the church... The successors to the apostles have the authority to do that. Well, the answer is yes, because the apostles and their successors are clearly given by Christ a certain judicial authority, an authority to make precepts to govern the life of the Christian community and the Christian worship. So a few texts for this to support this would be Matthew 18, for example, 15 through 17. If you see a brother sin against you, go and try to convert him, win him over. If you can't, take two yeah. or three witnesses. Right. And if he doesn't listen to the two or three witnesses, take, take him, him to, to the, the church. church. And if he fails to adhere to the church, treat him as a Gentile tax collector. Yeah. So the church and the representatives of the church community have that judicial authority, the apostles and their successors, the bishops to implement certain disciplinary precepts. You also see it in um, Matthew, uh, Acts chapter 16, at the Council of Jerusalem, where you have clearly the apostles and the presbyters issuing up a decree to impose certain disciplinary precepts on the Gentile converts, abstain from meats offered to idols, abstain from meats not fully drained of blood, abstain from blood. These were disciplinary in nature and imposed upon the Gentiles, and they were expected to obey. So we see the early church engaging or using its judicial authority yeah. to impose certain disciplinary or ceremonial precepts in the early church. So we see clearly that the apostles and their successors have that authority to do so. And so at least we have biblical grounds that the church would have the authority to impose a certain disciplinary precept or ceremonial precept, such as when we're going to worship God and fulfill the moral law, and it be obligatory, precisely because the, uh, it is an authority invested in them by Christ to govern the life of the church. Okay, so all of that being said, however, there's, this is like, there's a series of things here. One, you have an obligation in church law to... Uh, uh, participate in Mass every Sunday, and if you don't, the this is a grave matter and possibly with mortal sin. With full knowledge, deliberate consent, right. it would incur the the guilt of mortal sin. So, but you could say, I mean, a, a person could go, well, yeah, the church, sure, celebrated on Sunday, though, for all those reasons, and the church is the authority. That why why is this a law, though? Why right. is this a law of the church? Yeah, well, I think there are a few answers that we can give in, to to that question. First of all more of a reasonable approach. If God saw it fitting to make it a law that his people worship him, fulfilling the moral law, on a particular day and for a particular amount of time or whatever, then it would be reasonable that God would see it fitting that there be an imposed law upon his people in the new covenant. Yeah. Right? And now we see that, and, and now it'd be... Whether or not it's a different, it's the same day or a different day. That's another question. Like why Sunday, and we can get to that as well, uh, given the early church practice. But 
if God saw it reasonable for there to be a law governing our worship in the Old Covenant, then it's reasonable that he would see it fitting to have a law governing our worship for the New Covenant. Now, there's a little bit of pushback to that. There's a counter that our Protestant friends might pose, or anybody for that matter, and say, well, that's the Old Covenant. In the New Covenant, we're... Uh. We're what? We're, we're freed free. from. We don't, yeah, it's not by works of the law right. that we're saved. So I can see that objection. Like, right. isn't Romans this just the Catholic Church slipping back into that works of the law is what saves us? The assumption being that in the New Covenant, there is no law, right? So there shouldn't I think be so, any yeah. sort of ceremonial laws like on which day we're going to worship God. Well, in response to that, I would say, well, if the issue is we're not bound by that old law. Amen to that. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole point of Paul's epistles to Romans and Galatians, to the church in Galatia and Colossae. Yeah. We're not bound by the ceremonial precepts of the old covenant. That's the whole point. Um, but if the issue is law in general, like there is no law in the new covenant, well, that's absurd because Christ gave commands. He gave laws. He told the apostles at the Last Supper, do this. And remembrance yeah. of me. Okay, That's right. a command. That's a law. Right. He told the his disciples, when you pray, pray like this. So there's a distinct form of prayer that Christians must engage in. That doesn't mean the only form or excluding other forms. But, but you have to pray the Our Father. <laughs> that's the part of that's yeah. a part of the Christian life. Yeah. Is to pray in the way that Jesus taught us. And of course you have New Testament precepts, right? The precepts imposed upon Christians in the early church are already mentioned. One, the precepts from the Council of Jerusalem for the Gentiles. You have the Eucharistic precepts. Paul's given the Corinthians instruction in 1 Corinthians 11 to receive the Eucharist in a worthy manner, not in an unworthy manner. So to approach the Eucharist with that reverence. Uh, there's instructions for the apostles to go out and baptize Baptized. That's a precept. That's a law in the early church. You come to believe, you get baptized. So that there are no laws in the New Covenant, that's just simply false. Any reading of the New Testament would show that there are some laws. So then the question becomes, well, is the law to I worship see. God on Sunday a part of that of, of those laws, whether it belonging to the moral law or ceremonial. We know it's not going to belong to the moral law because it's a ceremonial precept that's subject to change. So the question becomes, did the early church impose the law? Well, we don't have any evidence in the first century. That is correct. Nor was there any imposition of the law in the first or the second century. You don't find any form of obligation coming until the third century at the Council of Elvira in AD 300. It states this in Canon 21, If anyone in the city neglects to come to church for three Sundays, let him be excommunicated for a short time so that he may be corrected. So it's not an obligation, but there's penalties for up to three, you know, three and above absences yeah. from, this, uh, from worshiping uh, on Sundays. And you have the Council of uh, Agde or also Agatha in 506, Canon 47, affirming the Council of Elvira, and then in Innocent the Eleventh in 1679, he condemned the contradictory proposition, which stated the precept of keeping holy days is not obligatory under the pain of mortal sin. He condemned that proposition. So the positive is it is obligatory under the pain of mortal sin to keep holy days. Yeah. And then, of course, you have it enshrined in the Code of Canon Law in 1917, and also the code, the 83 code. 
So that's sort of the historical development. It is true that the ceremonial precept was not part of the first century church. It would later be imposed after many years. Right. But that is not to say that the law itself and the precept is unreasonable or unfounded. Because, and so now we get back to the question, why make it a law? Yeah. So, so, so yeah, previously we had said that, you know, it's reasonable at least if God saw it fitting for the old covenant, how about for the new? But I think to push it further, we can look to Pope St. John Paul II. Okay. So he issued an apostolic, an apostolic letter in 1998 on keeping the Lord's Day called Dies Domini, the Latin title. And so here's what he had to say. This legislation has normally been understood as entailing a grave obligation. This is the teaching of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And it's easy to understand why if we keep in mind how vital Sunday is for the Christian life. So it's the importance of the liturgy for the Christian that constitutes why make it a law. Why is it a law? Because of the importance of the liturgy. Now, somebody might counter and say, well, just leave it up to us. We can figure it out. Well, in yes. response, well, guess what? We're weak, right? I mean, the Israelites could have said that to Yahweh, like, hey, Moses, Intercede for us on behalf of God. We're okay with this uh, worshiping God thing. We can do it on our own. We don't need any ceremonial precepts to demand us to do it. <laughs> yes, right, right. Moses would have laughed in their faces, right? Yeah. We're no better than the Israelites. We're weak, right? We're wounded. We need help. Right. And that's where the obligation and the law comes into play because laws are good, right? Laws, when they lead us to virtuous action, are a good thing. They're ordered toward helping us to flourish as human beings. And Pope St. John Paul II Psi actually picks up on this in De uh, Dies Domini. He states this, It was only later, faced with the half-heartedness or negligence of some, that the Church had to make explicit the duty to mm. attend Sunday yeah. Mass. So it's right. sort of, it, it's a help. You know, it's Mother Church looking out for her children. I mean, think about it, just in family life, right? Yeah. I mean, laws are not bad. Laws are good within family life. Why? Because they help keep peace and order and govern the family life. But they also help, for, for example, parents and their rules for children. They help children do what is good because sometimes the children aren't skilled enough in virtue to stay away from the bad and do the good for goodness sake. Right. So they need some help and making it a rule, and if you break the rule, there's going to be negative consequences to help form them in the virtue, in doing the good. And then eventually when we achieve that perfection of freedom, which won't come until the beatific vision after this life, right. then we won't need the rules because we'll be worshiping God right. by seeing him in the divine, in the beatific vision. And I have to say, I mean, there are, I don't think you're like me in this regard, but I have this tremendous inertia. And I think it has been a gift many, many times in my life that I had the obligation to go to mass because I could have found, if it were just like, do your best, I'd have been like, I'll see you next week. You know, I, I, I just wouldn't have made the move. It actually, yeah. And I think, I think if we're honest, many people will have right. to say that. Yeah, Correct. I, this, this sort of conversation does require an honesty with, with, with yeah. yourself in knowing yeah. your weaknesses. Right. And like really ask yourself the question, if I wasn't obliged, 
would, would I, I really yeah, go? Right. I mean, I, I would might go. go like nine out of ten on my <laughs> exactly. own, but just that one time, right. I may yeah. very well. And that's turn probably my back the time that I need it too. That's I mean, right. many times I've found that in my life. Yeah. But okay, so but uh, I think if they told me it's an obligation. And it, it's a venial sin, I would be motivated. <laughs> Give me some insight. I mean, mortal sin is real. Yeah, that's serious. I mean, like, adultery is a mortal sin. Right. Murder is a mortal sin. Right. Missing mass is a mortal sin. Right. I, mean, I really feel like that's the attitude of a lot of Catholics. And it's easy to have that attitude because it doesn't feel like adultery or murder. Right. It just doesn't seem to be... Or, or many of the other grave sins. Yeah, well, at the heart of the gravity of the matter, I think, is outright disobedience to I the see. church. Yeah. So right. the church has a legitimate authority invested in it by Christ to make these sort of judicial decisions, right? To govern the life of the community of God, the people of God here on earth. And so to, with full knowledge and deliberate consent, to say, no... Mother Church, I'm not going to go to Mass right. on Sunday when you're obliging me to, is grave matter because of the disposition that it involves relative to the Church. Like, I don't care what you got to say, Mother Church. You don't know any better for me. I know better, right? Yeah. And so I'm going to live my life as I want and pursue my own path of happiness, not what you, in your wisdom for 2,000 yeah. years, perceive right. to be a path of happiness for me. And so the gravity comes from that disposition of disobedience and the act of disobedience itself toward to the church and saying no to the church. I mean, just think about this, Sai. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 17, Jesus said, if you do not listen to the judgment of the church, treat him as a Gentile or a tax collector. That right. means the individual who doesn't adhere to the judgment of the church is out, out yeah. is an outcast. It's outside of the Christian community and can't participate in the life of the church, right, right. In, in the ways that her children can. And so we see from the lips of Jesus himself the severity of disobeying these judgments of the church. And so it logically follows that if the church says, go to Mass on Sunday, and this is, and you're obliged to do so, and you say no, you're like the individual in Matthew 18, 17, saying no to the judgment of the church. Treat him as a Gentile or tax collector. Yeah. So there's, a gra there's gravity there. But I think also, too, Sai, it's important that we highlight this aspect of the gravity of disobeying the church here. Not only in, in as much as we're disobeying the judgment of the church, but also because of what it entails concerning turning our back on the mystery of the Mass yeah. and what the Mass is. I mean, the Mass is the making present of the salvific act of Christ by which we are saved. Right. And so when we go to Mass, we're making that event present, participating in the flowing of graces coming forth from that salvific act. And so if I, with full knowledge and deliberate consent, say, no to that because I'm going to pursue this other thing that I think is going to make me happy. Well, what am I doing? I'm putting some creaturely good, something other than God in my salvation and making right. that my yeah. life's purpose right? and turning my back on, uh, on salvation itself. Yeah. And so once we come to understand what the Mass is, the making present salvific act of Christ, by which we are saved, continue to be saved, and conform to Christ, 
we can see how it would be a grave, serious situation to deliberately turn your back on that and to pursue some creaturely good in its place. So come back to mass, the obligation. I mean, I, I, I'm, sh I'm sure there are places where the, there's still a dispensation, but where we are, there's no dispensation anymore. And I think in most of the United States, there's no dispensation. And, uh, and if there's not where you are, come back to mass. Amen to that. Thanks, Carla. Thank you, Sai. I mean, probably the first reason you should go to mass is you're needed there. You're needed that you need it. It's good for you to be there. The world needs you. The church needs you. And for some reason, God made it so that he needs you there. Now, I don't mean need in the sense that something's going to go wrong for God if you're not there. He's perfectly happy. He's perfect in every way. He's got everything he, he wants or needs, and he has, and he always will have that. But in some mysterious way, he has delegated to us some of the responsibility, each of us, some of the responsibility for sharing the gospel, for living the gospel, for bringing the world to the gospel so that everyone can be saved. And our Sunday mass prayers, our participation, our reception of the Eucharist are all part of that. You're needed. So come on back to mass. You can go to masstimes.org or one of those websites and find out when the mass is. And uh, we're very grateful for you being here with us. So, I mean, if you can spend the time here, you can spend a little time going to Mass. Uh, we'd also be grateful for your support. They're grateful for your support at Mass. They send that little basket around. We can't send that little basket around, so we send this around. GiveCatholic.com. That's where you can go to support us, GiveCatholic.com. Don't forget, by the way, when you go to GiveCatholic.com, the $5 million limit is still in place. Do not try to give more than $5 million, but do leave a little note that says why you're giving and why you like Catholic Answers Focus. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. That helps us to grow. And if you're listening on a podcast service, whatever that service is, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or one of the others, just uh, make sure you subscribe. That way you'll get updates when there are new episodes available. And if you give us that five-star review, maybe a few nice comments, you will help us to grow the podcast. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll see you next time, God willing, right here on Catholic Answers Focus. Mm -hmm.